Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to review. Um, I just want to just begin with with something very sort of foundational that uh, we had the uh, the privilege of having Rabbi uh, Naftali Sitron, the Rabbi of the uh, Karlbach Shul in New York City, and made a, a number of great points. But one one thing that he he emphasized was the importance of seeing yourself in the weekly parsha. And um, you know, often often we we talk about how uh, the greatest the, the, the greatest summary of what's going on in the world, you know, in terms of newspaper headlines, is really what's going on in the Parsha. But, and, and certainly that's true, and, and often I'll, I'll refer to uh, Rob uh, Wilson's uh, words that, that, the, that the fabric of the world is actually made up. It's a, it's a, God weaves together the letters of that week's Parsha, and so the, the fabric of reality is actually being made from the week's Parsha. So that's that's also true, but but there's an even deeper point here, which is that that our lives are being reflected in the parsha itself, and and the importance of, of going through the the, the the weekly parsha and asking yourself where am I in, in the parsha, and and how is this referring to what's going on in my life right now, because that um, that degree of, um, of how much we're we're personalizing the Torah. And personalizing our experience um, is is essential because God is speaking to us through the Torah. So, so and and by the way, that that that's a skill. You know, you have to you have to know how to do it. Um, it's it's you, you, you can't use it as a a bat to hit yourself over the head with. It's a it's a it's 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 a tool to to grow by, and 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 that's important. You know, I. I was talking with someone who's a, a Talmud Chacham, someone who knows more Torah than I do, and yet he was asking me a Torah question for some reason. And uh, I told him, I didn't have the answer for him, but I, I told him the, the following thing. I said, start with the goodness of God. Start with the understanding that God is good. And then if you use that as a premise, you're going to be able to get the answer to your question. Um, and 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 he did on the spot. He came up with an answer, which, which was like a great answer. So so in other words, when you're using the Torah as a tool for seeing where you are in the Torah and how this is applying to you, understand how this is a tool in terms of helping you understand yourself better and 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 be more successful in life as a pol- as opposed to seeing it. A, a confirmation of what a rat you are and how the Torah is just like this wonderful club to hit yourself over the head with. Right? Do, do you hear the difference? In other words, in both instances, what will be revealed is something that a person needs to work on. But, but it's being revealed out of kindness and out of love in an attempt for us to all be better. That, that, that's the point. That's the point. You know, I, I, I once heard in the name of Rav Noach Weinberg, the, the head of Asia Torah, Allah Shalom, that um, how do people respond to criticism, right? So he, he gave an example. He says, imagine you're walking down the street and someone says, hey, 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 wait a second. You, you dropped your wallet here. And can you imagine if your response is, why are you always criticizing me? I mean, here the person is... The, He's giving you back your wallet. No one wants to lose their wallet. And yet, I guess there's a way to construe it in a way that, 
oh, you're the one who dropped your wallet. Oh, yeah, that's me, just the guy who drops his wallet. You're kind of missing the point. <laughs> you're having it restored to you. So in other words, in other words, when the Torah is pointing out, when you, when you see your flaws in the Torah, and the Torah is helping us with our flaws, understanding that it's coming to give you back your wallet, so to speak. It's coming to make you whole again. Not, not for us to, to wallow in our deficiencies. Okay. With that in mind, um, Parsha's Balak is, is unbelievable because it's, I, I don't know anyone who is exempt from this category of fixing. I think this is really talking about all of us in the, in the widest, widest sense. And really in, in, the, in the deepest sense. In really in the deepest sense. See, I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Ishvitzer Rebbe that the deepest question a person can ask of themselves is what does Hashem want from me this moment? What does Hashem want from me this moment? Okay? So this, is, this takes a, a lot of work because sometimes, sometimes you can't necessarily, sometimes you can get an answer, right? But you're not necessarily in a place to institute the answer at that point. You see, there's something, Rav Dessler talks about something called the point of Bechira. And anyone who's interested in personal growth and change, whether it's individually or in a relationship or with God or whatever it is, has to understand this idea of the point of Bechira. I'll explain it. Bechira means free choice. You see, if you were to ask me, should I be learning more Torah? I'll tell you, absolutely, I'm, I'm not studying enough Torah. That's just, that's, by the way, that's, that's actually the truth. So, so how much Torah would you like to be learning? How much Torah do you think you should be learning? Ideally, like, like let's say everything's paid for, everything, like I don't have to worry about anything. I don't know, 16 hours a day? Wow. Like, why not, right? Just go for it. If, that's, if, that's, if that really is an opportunity, go for it. So if I say to myself, okay, so if that's maybe the ideal version of myself, then why not institute it right now? Okay, now we get to back to this idea of the point of Bechira, the point of free choice. See, for me, I don't know that I can, even if I have it intellectually in my mind, I don't know that I have the tools and the maturity and the level of refinement to institute that idea in my life right now. My point of Bechira might be whether I'm going to learn an extra 20 minutes a day. And that might actually be the reality of where my free choice is actually greased and can actually pivot, so to speak, in a real way. You see? So a person has to understand that intellectually they may be far ahead of themselves, but but bless you, you have to, a person has to be able to integrate these ideas in their life in a real way. And if they want to integrate these ideas in their, their life in a real way, they have to be very mindful of what is their point of Bechira. What is, you know, so, so, so maybe, okay, maybe the person's not davening three times a day. I'll tell you something, in terms of my, my Jewish journey, right, in terms of, in terms of, uh, becoming more, more, more Torah observant. There was a period in my youth where I knew enough about kashras that I didn't mix milk and meat 
but I was still eating unkosher meat. But at my level, you know, I, I knew, well, wait a second, you're not supposed to have an ice cream after a hamburger, right? But I wasn't in the place for whatever reason, just lack of understanding, lack of maturity, development, whatever it is, where I was necessarily eating a kosher hamburger. But I wasn't mixing it with milk for a period of time. So what I'm trying to tell you is, not that that's the greatest level, but my point of Bechira at that point was not great enough to integrate being fully kosher for whatever reason at that period in my life. But there were things that I could do and I was doing. So sometimes the Yetzirah, one of the great tools of the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, is to make everything an all or nothing game. Everything has to be black and white. And then it's even more... Um, it's even more uh, devilish, let's say, because it will, it will use this point against you. Uh, I'll explain what I mean. You see, it will say, you, you'll say, well, my, I, I want to keep kosher, but my point of Bechira, my free choice pivot point in terms of integrating this into my life is I can't do the entirety of the mitzvah. Then, then, then so I, I am telling you right now very strongly do part of the mitzvah. Do part of the mitzvah, and the rest will come in time. That's very important. Do part of the mitzvah. The Yetzirah will come to you and say, you're all about truth, right? That's why you want to do this, because you're about truth. Hello, Mr. Hypocrite. <laughs> you're such a hypocrite. Here you want to do truth, and what you're doing is a perversion of truth. You think, you think going to McDonald's and then waiting an hour to eat a, an ice cream? Is, is serving God? What, what, a, what, a, what a horrific parody of Judaism that that, that is. And then you go, you're right. I'm, I'm trying to do something good. And this is just hypocrisy. So look, look at how the Yetzirah works. As you're trying to make progress in a mitzvah, it appeals to your sense of truth and, and your sense of being a tzaddik, and it gets you from the standpoint of being a tzaddik to reject the mitzvah. <laughs> a tzaddik doesn't reject the mitzvah. The tzaddik holds on to any iota of the mitzvah that they possibly can. Do you see how the Yetzirah twists a person's mind and makes any forward progress not enough or not just not enough, an offense to the truth? And then we buy into it instead of seeing the progress. So, so now let's get back to, 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 to Bilaam, right? Because Bilaam is, is all about this. Bilaam is all about this. You see, Bilaam is, is someone who's compared to uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. In other words, um, the rabbis teach that in the end of days, when, when God reveals himself and, and, and shows who the Jewish people are, shows what the Torah is, so that the, the whole world has clarity in it. The non-Jewish world, the rabbis teach us, from ancient times the rabbis teach this, the non-Jewish world is going to complain. And they're going to say, God, if you had given us a Moshe Rabbeinu, a Moses, then we also would have done what the Jewish people are doing. And God is going to respond back, I gave you Bilaam. So, so, so from this standpoint, 
you see that Bilaam was very, very great. In fact, the clearest prophecy about Mashiach in the whole five books is through the mouth of Bilaam. So you see, in many places, you see the exaltedness of the greatness of Bilaam. The tragedy is that Bilaam wasn't able to get to that place. Okay, so now I'm going to start in, in, in terms of how are we Bilaam, right? Because if we have to see ourselves in the Parsha, Bilaam, you know, as much as it's called Parsha's Balak, right, who is the king who hires Bilaam to curse the Jews, really the, the, the point of view in terms of the, the, the Parsha itself is through the eyes of Bilaam. Okay, so, so how are we Bilaam? I don't, I don't want to curse the Jews. I'm not trying to, and I'm not, no one's comparing me to Moshe Rabbeinu, right? So that seems to be two very fundamental disconnects in, in terms of how I can see myself in Bilaam, right? And kings aren't running to me to curse anybody, right? Or promising me houses full of gold and silver. So where is this level of comparison at all coming from? So you'll see it's coming at a, in, a, in a very fundamental place, a very profound way. So, so Bilaam is approached by, by, by Balak, the king of Moab. And, and Bilaam's response is, I can't curse the Jews. What are you talking about? I, 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 can't, I can't do that because they're blessed. And then he says, you know what? This is over the course of the, the, the Parsha. Then he goes, you know what? Let me just double check with God. <laughs> right? So he, he starts off in this place where he's like very seemingly adamant. But then once they're a little bit, once they press on him a little bit, they, they try to, you know, you know, bribe him with gold and silver. All of a sudden he's like, you know, I, before I say no, let me just make sure. And then God says, don't do it. And so he says back to them, I can't do it. So then King Balak sends more and more prestigious um, emissaries, um, which is a, you know, a, a degree of flattery to Bilaam, because look at all these important people who are coming to see me. And it's kind of funny. There's a change in the language in the Torah. In the beginning, they say to Bilaam, come with us. And then, then they say, don't stop yourself from coming. <laughs> Very big difference, right? Because they understood that he wanted to come. And then he asks God again, and he says, can I come? Um, and then God says, all right, but you can't do anything that I don't tell you what to do. But then here's the, here's the part that's very frightening. Because here you see Bilaam is checking in with God every step of the way. So seemingly, it's like super kosher, right? Like he's not doing anything without asking God first. But here you see the way they say, first come with us, and then don't stop yourself from coming with us. Here you see that on the inside, there's a total breakdown in terms of his, his resistance. And in fact, the deeper commentaries even say that he was waiting for Balak 
all along to come and to give him this opportunity because he wanted to do it from the very outset. Then we get to this line, which is, I think, uh, kind of scary, and I'll, I'll explain it better in a moment. So, so, so God finally says to Bilaam, as, as we just mentioned, if the men came to summon you, arise and go with them. But only the thing that I shall speak to you, that you should do. So seemingly, after this long back and forth between Bilaam and, and, and God, it seems like God is giving him permission. Then Bilaam says, it says he arose early in the morning, saddled his she-donkey, and went off with the officers of Moab. Now listen to this next line. God's wrath flared because he was going. Now, that seems a little confusing, doesn't it? Because he's checking in with God each step of the way. And now he gets his desire, because really from the very outset he's been wanting to curse the Jews, and he's been wanting to get all of this gold and all of this fame and attention and everything like that. And now that he seemingly has permission, all of a sudden it says God is, is angry with him. But God gives him another chance. God basically stops the donkey that he's on. And this in itself is very deep. There's so much going on here. We, we're, I just want to stay on one point, but there's millions of things to talk about along the way. And, and God gives him another chance and basically puts this angel with a sword in front of him that he can't see, but, but the donkey can see. And then the donkey, he's hitting the donkey, saying, go on, come on, why are you stopping, why are you stopping? And the donkey speaks to him, which is a, just a totally unprecedented sort of thing in Torah, except the snake speaks in the very beginning. All right, so... You know, it, in terms of Torah trivia, it's not the only talking animal. <laughs> nonetheless, nonetheless, it is very peculiar. And I, I heard Reb Shlomo say that it was, he didn't use this word, but it's a, it was a big bit of musser. It was a big slap to Bilaam because Bilaam is basically so arrogant. He's like, you know, God speaks through my mouth. And God says to him, I, I can speak through a donkey's mouth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, you think you're so great, you know? You're, you're not so great. Um, and God gives him a final chance and, and basically shows him his displeasure, allows him to turn back, but he, but, but he, doesn't, but he doesn't turn back. Even though the, 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 the donkey tells him that there's an angel with a sword blocking our way. Okay. So now here's the line that I've been building to. All right? Here's, here's, here's what we've been talking about. How often are we calling ourselves victims of circumstance? That, that's what this has been all about, okay? See, because if I'm Billum, I think I've got a very good case to say, I'm a victim of circumstance! I was sitting in my house, minding my own business. These guys show up. They start pulling at me and wrestling with me. And you know I checked in with you guys every step of the way. And then you told me to go. And now all of a sudden it's my fault. How is it my fault? 
So this, I think, is universally relatable. You want to see yourself in the Parsha. You want to see yourself in Bilaam. To what extent are we going through life saying, what can I do? And I want to say something, we're going to talk more about this, but I want to say something very, very strong, because when I realized that that's the beginning of the Parsha, I was sort of like, it almost shook me to realize what the end of the Parsha is. The end of the Parsha is Pinchas. And Pinchas stopping a plague. The end, of, in, in other words, the Torah's own answer to this attitude is radical responsibility. Because Pinchas takes responsibility for all of Israel in his own hands, but not like the person who shot Rabin, right? He goes and he talks to Moshe Rabbeinu first and asks, what's the halacha? What am I supposed to do? You see, it's radical responsibility within the context of Torah law. Because radical responsibility outside the area of Torah law is another form of fanaticism, which is another form of narcissism and selfishness, which is equal, an equal measure, but a different isotope, a different strain of, I'm a victim of circumstance. You, you, you told me I'm supposed to do the right thing, so I tried to do the right thing. No! The right thing involves going, especially if you're going to do something that has national impact, you must go through the proper channels. Right? And that's to some radical offshoot guy who's learning in his, you know, you know, one folding chair apartment, who's like a, a hidden makubal or whatever it is, and then basing everything on what he No, no, no. You go through the front office, right? The people with official titles of large organizations, right? And, and to make the point even stronger, you know, after this Parsha, after, after Parsha's Balak that we're discussing right now comes Parsha's Pinchas. So the big event of Parsha's Pinchas, which is Pinchas stopping the plague in the most amazing way, happens in Parsha's Balak, not in Parsha's Pinchas. Right? Parsha's Pinchas begins with the big event of what Pinchas did is already over. Talking about the aftermath of it. So all the more so is Pinchas the proper bookend to Bilaam. Again, to put it into here and now terms, <coughs> I'm a victim of circumstances versus I'm taking responsibility. I'm taking responsibility in a responsible way. Right? Remember, it says, Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdorf, justice, justice you shall pursue. So everyone asks, why is the word justice repeated twice? Because you have to pursue justice in a just way. Right? There's, you see, see what, the, the reason why people have so much trouble wrapping their mind around Pinchas is because they, they think that he's a vigilante. He's not a vigilante. He's not, he's not a vigilante. That, 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 is, that is the point. 
Otherwise, he wouldn't be blessed with all these amazing things. And, and of course, our deeper sources say, Pinchazu Eliyahu. He becomes Eliyahu Hanavi who announces Mashiach. So he reaches the greatest heights. Not a vigilante. Not a vigilante. Right? Talks with Moshe Rabbeinu. Gets instructions from Moshe before he does anything. Okay. So let's get back to this this notion in terms of us. Because, you see, I believe if you study the steps of how Bilaam is interacting with God over wanting to go, and first saying he's not going, and God doesn't want me to go, and then let me double check, and then God's saying, yes, you can go, and everything like that, you really see a blueprint of our own capacity to rationalize our own inner desires and try to make them holy on the outside. Mm. Right? So really what's happening is we've got a lust or a desire or an imperfection and then we kind of weave around it this notion of holiness and this notion of service to God. Right? And, and Bilaam is, is challenging us to really look deep within ourselves and figure out what actually is our intention. What actually is our intention? And how can we be responsible toward that intention in terms of doing what we need to do and not putting it in other people's hands and then assessing the blame on other people? So, so now let's, let's, get, let's get a little bit deeper. You see, there are many ways to an end. And one of the mysteries of life is, is how it is that we have free choice and yet God is taking us to a very particular place. And this is something that, um, that is, we, we say is, is really the ultimate paradox. Like, how can both be true? But we're told that both are true. You 1,000% have free choice, and God absolutely knows where he's taking you. But you say, if God knows where he's taking me, then how do I have free choice? Because if I choose this direction which is not the direction that God wants to take me, and then God is taking me to this place, then that means that God was taking me to this place all along, and that wasn't really free choice. That was just the illusion of free choice. But no, we say we have free choice, and God is taking us to a particular place. So just to, to give you an answer, we, we've discussed this before, but just I won't go into all the details, but I'll just tell you how I make peace with it. On a very simple level, in this dimension that we live in right now, it's a total paradox and contradiction how both things can be true. 100%, it makes no sense, meaning it can't be reconciled in this dimension. In the higher dimensions, it's not even a question at all. Right? We're, our brains are hardwired with a certain form of logic, and this short circuits that, that logic. But who created logic? Who created this hardwiring? God, who exists dimensions beyond us. So in those realms, there is no contradiction. 
Okay, that's that's just a simple answer, but it's not. So it's not fundamentally even a question, really. Okay, but what I want to get to is to this idea that there are multiple ways to a particular end point. God can desire a particular, say, tikkun for our soul, a particular fixing for our soul. The question is, how do we get to that place? So God is leading us to that place. But the question is, how are we getting to that place? So the visual, if you want a visual, the one that I always think of is, for those of us who live in Los Angeles, you know, bless you, there's... um. Right, we need blessings if we live in Los Angeles. That, that's right. So, um, you know, there's the you've got the, the the city part, the Los Angeles part, and you've got the the valley part, and then there's a hill, right? Oh, that that you take, and anyone who's taken, you know, whatever it is, uh, Coldwater Canyon, Laurel Canyon, right? You know that as you go over those hills, there's a million offshoots off the main road, right? Every, every few yards, there's another opportunity to go off the main path. And, you know, I often wonder, like, now we have ways, right? And, and sometimes, like, ways, like, I've done it a few times where I've now explored some of these, like, side paths, and it's like, you know, like, worlds open up. Like, you never yeah. knew that those places existed, right? And there they are. But you see, there are different ways to get to there are different ways to get to the end. And one of the ways of getting to the end is, you know, you can wander and be lost, and it can take a very long time, or you can go in the most direct path. And so to relate that to our lives, what does that mean? A person can be doing Torah and mitzvahs and chesed, kindness, and giving tzedakah, and everything like that. And they can be assured, if they're doing those things, that it's taking them, it's taking them on, the most direct, on the most direct path. Even if that path seems very convoluted to us, that's because life itself is surprising and mysterious. But we, we have to have confidence and know that that is the most direct path. And in terms of like, how windy it seems and everything like that, there are many factors that are being incorporated into that. One is our past lives, right? What do we have to fix from our past lives? One is our children and our grandchildren and things like that, our own futures. What do we need to do that are lessons to, to the generations ahead of us? So oftentimes our lives are complicated in a way that we'll never understand because we're dealing with something from before we were born or something that we haven't even experienced yet. And sometimes, sadly enough, but we have to be real, it's because of our own affairs, because of our own flaws. And our own flaws set us back and require fixings within our timeline right now. And, and, and that's, that's a reality too. So... To what extent am I trying to fix my own life in terms of what I know about and what I have to take responsibility for in terms of my own actions? So, so, so Billum says, I can't go. Right? So right now he's seemingly he's heading toward that 
straight straight path and then he goes but let me check with God <laughs> so God already knows that he's playing games God already knows that he wants to go with them so Waze says take a right take this like you know take a Doña Piñata or whatever one of those like little side streets are you know and then you go okay I'm still following the directions <laughs> And then, and then God says, okay, go with them. You see, we, we, through our own actions, are triggering new sets of directions in terms of our life. And God is responding to the work that we're doing inside or the lack of work that we're doing inside and then creating new travel scenarios and new situations in our life that we're entering into. Now, now you can understand why God says, okay, with this in mind, okay, go with them. And then God's anger flared. Right? Because God saw at that point that he doesn't want to do the right thing. He's mouthing the words, I want to do the right thing. But God searches the heart. And in God searching the heart, God sees he doesn't want to do the right thing. So all of a sudden, ways sends you, so to speak, on this road, and it's sort of like there's construction. And you say to yourself, well, wait a second. How did Waze do that to me? And then, but then you think, well, how is Waze supposed to know that a guy did? I mean, this is a global thing all around the world. How is it supposed to know that someone just set up a, an orange cone over there? So you rationalize it even further. So, so this, and I want to connect this. It sounds like I'm going to switch topics, but I'm absolutely not switching topics. I want to just sort of like now kind of like take a, a helicopter view on this discussion and discuss another point. But we're still on this point, okay, in terms of how our lives unfold in a way that really is being triggered by what's really our true desire inside. Okay? And how we are creating the, the, the map and the itinerary. And that we can create the map and the itinerary while all the same time pretending that we're just servants of God. See, that's, that's, that's the most devastating part of all this. Because Bilaam, if you ask Bilaam, he would say, you saw I was just in discussions with God. You saw, let me show you the transcript. You see what God says. But on some level, it's all, it's all a game. And it's being triggered by the fact that Bilaam inside is false. So let's approach this from a, a different angle. There's something very remarkable about about Parsha's Balak. And there are other, in fairness, there are other instances of what I'm going to talk about in the Torah. But you really see like the headquarters of this thought, in my opinion, right here in Parsha's Balak. Which is, who recorded Parsha's Balak? You see, as, as, as a Parsha in and of itself, it's, it's strange because it's recording events where no Jews are present. 
over, over a lengthy period of time. You've got Bilaam sitting in his house by himself. Moshe is not there. The Jewish people are not there. You've got now Balak's conversations with the ministers of, um, or Bilaam's conversations with the, with the ministers of Balak, recorded word for word. You've got Balak's private conversations with Bilaam on these mountaintops hidden from the Jews where they're spying on the Jews and trying to get the best angle of, you know, maybe we can try cursing them from this angle because now we're seeing this section of the people who may not be on the same level as that section of the people, so maybe this is more an entree point for cursing. All these private conversations, who who recorded these? It was the donkey. So, <laughs> so it wasn't the donkey. It, it was God. It, it, was, it, it was God. And here you see another example of the divinity of the Torah. Because, because we had no access to any of these conversations. And here you see them recorded letter for letter, how, how they went down. So it's very fascinating. And how I want to tie this into what we were discussing before is this notion of sometimes we can convince ourselves that God is absolutely not there. Right? Just like God is the invisible narrator, the invisible presence, especially here, and yet all of this stuff is being recorded exactly. We can reach a point where we can trick ourselves into thinking through, listen carefully, through my lack of belief or through my disbelief, I have made God disappear. <laughs> and we get so mired into our own imaginations. We get so removed from objective reality that, that we can't, we literally can't exist. I'm talking about the the physicality of the entire world, much less my arms and legs, that we literally can't exist without God being abundantly present. But we've so turned inward into our own disbelief and our own fantasies and our own desires that we think we've created a God-free environment. And now it's just up to me to call all the shots. But meanwhile, what's God doing? God is now directing all of the situations that we're in <laughs> based on what our interior dialogues are and what choices that we're making. So, so is, there, is there any more relevant, is there any more relevant discussion in terms of our lives and what's going on right here? So it has to begin, it has to begin with our own hearts and our own just desire to want to come close. That is, that, that is the foundation of a person. That's the foundation of a person. To start from the inside and work from the outside. But don't, don't, don't fall off the cliff and say, because I did because I did the inside, I don't have to do the outside. 
See, because that's the, 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 the process will invite you to say, you've got a good heart? Done. And you know what? We're even going to tell you, open up the New York Times today. There are five columns telling you that you're done. What more do you need to know? It's the New York Times, for goodness sakes. No, I, I, I remember hearing, made a strong impression on me because I grew up at a time in, in, a, in a household where the New York Times was like, there's a, there's like a, like a divine aspect to it in terms of like this. No, you don't understand. This is the essence of objectivity, which, which, which correlates with truth. Like, can you imagine that you can buy the truth every day at the newsstand? But truth with a capital T, really, you, you have to understand how, how the, the level of reverence for, it was called the paper of record, you know? But it's, it's all a fantasy. This is all a fantasy. In terms, of, in terms of our own allowing our own selves not to complete the process. Remember, what do the rabbis say? A realized person is someone whose outsides reflect their insights. In other words, if you want to achieve a level of realization, your outsides have to match your insights. Which means your actions, your actual, remember, Kabbalistically, this realm that we live in is called Olamasiya, which means the world of action. That means that a person is not complete unless they've done the deed. It's not enough to have the good thought. Right? Although a good thought is very great. And it has to begin with the good thought, ultimately. Or it can begin with the action. That's also a pathway. That's also a pathway. I don't want to I don't want to say that it isn't, you know? But we're talking about deeper, more inner stuff in terms of approaching it from the standpoint of Bilam right now. So we're emphasizing this. But just to be balanced, we also have in the Talmud a concept called Shalolishma Bolishma, which means that someone who does something not for the sake of heaven will eventually arrive at doing it for the sake of heaven. In other words, sometimes you have to condition yourself from the outside in. Right? Um, and, and that's also a pathway in Torah. So, so you have to understand all of these things. These are all things. But right now we're concentrating on the heart. That's the emphasis of, of this talk right now. And I heard in the name of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov something awesome. Um, Rabbi Citron said this, and he said that this was one of Rabbi Shlomo's favorite Torahs. So, so you can really, you know, like, as, as Rabbi Shlomo would say, open up your heart, right? So, so Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says that, that the hands and the feet are closer to the heart than the head is closer to the heart. Mm. Say it again. The hands and the feet are closer to the heart than the head is closer to the heart. So... So there, there's an emphasis on doing. There's an emphasis on doing there. As, 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 as a true reflection, right? So, so a person has to, 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 to want to come close. Or, or as, as Rip Shlomo would say, and this was his highest compliment, that a person has to be real. And, and, and this is all about being real. Because 
there are layers and 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 layers to the heart. Right? And as you can see, you've got a blueprint in terms of some of the layers, in terms of Bilaam's conversation with God. And if you want to be led on that straight path, if we want to be led on that straight path, we have to we have to be real. Because God is looking into our heart. And we aren't victims of circumstances. And if we want to answer the question of Bilaam the way the Parsha itself does, with Pinchas, we have to take responsibility. And we have to process, we have to do that process of digging down. And I don't know that you ever reach the bottom of your heart, by the way. I don't know that you ever do. But you can get to pretty good places. You can get to very real places. And, you know, I was remembering something, I don't know, something from years ago. Um, I, I, I got this uh, kosher cookbook. There used to be a cookbook store here in Los Angeles that there was a whole bookstore that only sold cookbooks. So, and I, I, I went in and I went into the, the kosher section and they had like all these sort of like unusual kosher cookbooks. And one of them was um, a Cajun, Cajun kosher cooking. And I bought that one. And they had a, they had a turkey gumbo soup. <laughs> and I haven't really made a lot of recipes in my whole life out of a cookbook, but I made that one and it was so good. And it, it, it required a turkey carcass. So every once in a while, I don't come across turkey carcasses that often, but you know, if I did and I had the presence of mind in a little time, I'd, I'd try to make this, this turkey gumbo soup. And actually, I even gave the recipe my recipe, because I did my own little kind of version of it to Jeff's Gourmet. And I think to this day, sometimes they, they, they did their version of my version, so I don't know how much it tastes like my version anymore. But nonetheless, I got it on the menu, you know. So, so uh, anyway, one time I was uh, at my sister's, and I think it was at my sister's, and she she had this... this uh, carcass, this turkey carcass, and I was like, oh, you know, and she, she gave it to me, or I asked for it, or whatever it was, and it was, it was, I think it was smoked turkey or something, so I'm making the, the soup, and all along the way, I'm, I'm tasting it, and I'm seeing, you know, and, and I'm putting more and more seasoning in it, and tasting it, and there's like, there's some, some weird taste in this, in my turkey soup, you know? And I keep on seasoning, now I'm really heavily seasoning it. And I can't get rid of this taste. And then I finally realized what that taste was. It was the turkey. <laughs> the turkey was the problem in my turkey soup. <laughs> that's the taste I was trying to get rid of. And then I thought a little bit more about it and I thought, you know, that's kind of like us with life. Like a lot of times, like, we're going through life and there's something wrong, there's something wrong, there's something wrong. Oh, I know what it is. The life part of life. <laughs> the fact that all of us are confronted with challenges. No, no, no. That's the life part of life. <laughs> you don't get rid of that part. And, and society tries to sell us this version of life and all these products and, you know, IL-5, like, oh, look at all these wonderful products that get rid of the, 
the turkey taste of turkey soup. <laughs> but you can't really. And at least you can, the least we can do is to understand that, that, it's, that it, it, we have work to do. We all have work to do. And we're, we're clinging on to this pampered illusion that life is like some sort of, you know, picnic, and that if it doesn't, if, 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 if something is off, how could that be? <laughs> how, how could it be? It's some existential conundrum. No, this is life! Now for some questions and answers. Um, you mentioned that uh, the greatest prophecy for um, comes from... Um, yes, Bilum. Which one was that? Okay, so I, I'll have to find it for you. So the the prophecy of Mashiach from Bilam, it's uh, chapter 20, verse 4, verse 17. I shall see him, but not now. I shall look at him, but it is not near. A star has issued from Jacob, and a scepter bearer has risen from Israel, and he shall pierce the nobles of Moab and undermine all the children of Seth. Edom shall be his conquest, and Seir shall be the conquest of his enemies, and Israel will walk, will attain success. One from Jacob shall rule and destroy the remnant of the city. He saw Amalek and declaimed his parable and said, Amalek is the first among nations, but its end will be eternal destruction. And if you look at the, the, uh, the, the explanations of those psikim, those verses that I just read in English, you'll see there, it's, all, it's all referring to Mashiach. I'm just fascinated by the thought of the a guy that obviously Hashem gave him so much depth of understanding. Yes. Okay. So th there's that amazing thing about him, but yet he's not able to perfect himself. And you said that Hashem's going to say, I gave you Bilam, but if this incredible prophet, unlike Moshe, who did perfect himself, who did work on himself, so he was able to be a leader, if he didn't have that how can uh, Hashem, I mean, if Hashem if, said... If, if Bilaam didn't have what? Bilaam didn't perfect himself, obviously. So whose fault is that? It's his fault. But what I'm saying is that this was one man who was a prophet, but he wasn't able to lead the going... Nothing's free. Nothing's free. Nothing is free. Everything has to be earned. Everything has to be earned. I know, but what about the people who he was, like the goyim around him that he was supposed to raise from their level to inspire them, but since he wasn't able to get to that level, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the question that I'm hearing from you is, is why should the, the, the nations of the world be punished because, or, yeah. or, to, or to, to lack right. because of his, his imperfection? And I've, I've got to believe that we only know a piece of the story. That that would be my answer to that. You know, I I I know again, getting back to the beginning of the talk. Let's start with the goodness of God. God is good and God is just, and I have to believe that that 
there's more to the story than we understand. We understand the beginning of the story, the, the Bilam chapter of the story, but not, not more than that. But just listen to it from this standpoint, okay? Just to contextualize the question some more. We say, Kabbalistically speaking, that, that Bilam is the reincarnation of Lovin. Okay? Now, Lovin, it says, basically wanted to kill out the entirety of the Jewish people from its inception. Meaning to say that you had Jacob and his family, and that's like the very beginning of, of, of the nation of Israel. Lovin wanted to eradicate it at the root. Look how awesome God is that Lovin becomes reincarnated as Bilam, who has a chance to lead all of the nations. So in other words, could you imagine that Lovin would be given another opportunity like that? I mean, being, being taken to the heights? And listen to this. And again, you have to understand, this is getting very, very mystical right now. So however we're supposed to understand this, we say that Lovin is a reincarnation. You know what? Of the snake in the Garden of Eden. And snake in Hebrew is Nachash. And Nachash is the same gematria as Mashiach. So now all of a sudden you see this, like, this line where the snake is getting another chance. That that energy that was in it, but, but remember, Adam and Chava were supposed to say no to the snake. Remember, there's only one power. Judaism doesn't say, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's the heavyweight battle of the century, it's God versus the devil. That's all nonsense. Because that means God's a power and the devil's a power. This is all nonsense. There's only one power in the world. There is evil in the world, but evil works for God. So then how do you understand evil? Because when evil comes to you, evil wants you to say no. The Sutton wants you to say no. Because it works for God. In other words, even more, it says that when you say yes to it, it tears its garment. When you say no to it, it jumps up and dances. Right? So, so you see that there was an unrealized potential within the snake. The snake was there for us to say no to it. But it gets another chance as Levin. It gets another chance as Bilam. This, this energy, right? And it gets a fantastic chance with Bilam because now it's not just this sort of like opponent. It's someone who's, you know, mamasha prophet. So the reason why I'm going backwards is to show you that Bilam is not the beginning of this story. And if we already have two chapters before Bilam, there must be many chapters after Bilam. So that's the best I can do to answer your question. How did uh, God speak to Bilam in his thoughts? Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I haven't looked at all the commentaries on it. I want to say that, the, that that's what the Rambam would say. That sounds like a, a Rambam. I don't know for sure. But, um, yeah, I... I I, I can't say for sure. I think that there are certainly commentaries who say that he actually spoke. And, you know, why not? Why not? You know, I mean, it seems to me if you look at all the mysteries of the world, a, an animal who makes noises anyway, and which has a brain anyway, for it to speak is not really such a big miracle, you know? But, yeah. They say mouth to mouth. I mean, 
Who that that Hashem spoke with, with Bilam? No, no, no. no with Bilam? No, no, no. In fact, the the rabbis are very clear that the level of prophecy of Moshe and Bilam was very different. different. Very different. And in fact, the the headquarters of that discussion is by um, the beginning of the word uh, beginning of the book of Vayikra, because Moshe it says just wanted to write Vayikar, without the Aleph. Because with the Aleph, it means that there was a direct conversation between Moshe and God. And by Bilam, it says Vayikar. Moshe wanted to write the same level as God and Bilam. Because Moshe didn't want to be like a big shot. So he said, okay, so God, God happened to you? God also happened to me. <coughs> and God said, no, 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 no. You have to write it exactly how it happened. Vayikra, with an olive at the end, which means a greater degree of intimacy that I don't just speak to you in dreams. When you're awake, I'm speaking to you. This is a much higher level. And so they made a compromise. So Moshe makes the olive at the end small. So that's why, that's the classic explanation of why there's a small olive. And it's directly in terms of making a differentiation between the level of prophecy between Bilam and Moshe. But what I would add, and this is just me talking, was that if Bilam had refined himself and refined himself and refined himself, then maybe it could have been on the level of Vikra as well. Because you see that there was great unrealized potential in Bilam. So maybe he could have gotten to that place. We, or, or, or approximately that place, right? Bilam's heart was false, though, like to begin with. So I guess my question is like, with his choices, he would have refined his already false heart. He believed it was a good heart. How do you know? How would he know? And he believed he was doing everything right. But he started with this false heart. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We, we've, got a lot of, we've got a lot of premises going there. I mean, I'm talking about um, the, the Bilam that is beginning this Parsha. So the, the Bilam of this Parsha is already advanced in years. So he had already reached this level of being a corrupt personality at this point. You know, um, You have, let's see, there's, there's, uh, there's Bilam, there's, there's Yisro. There's a, there's a famous Medrash that says that when it came to, um, when it came to uh, advising Paro what to do about the Jews, um, you know, when they start, this is at the time of the birth of Moshe, that it was actually Bilam who gave Paro the, Paro, Pharaoh, the advice to drown all the Jewish babies. But that was Bilam. So now this is already... Now that was when Moshe was... Moshe is at this point, you know, he's getting close to the end here. He's almost at 120. So you had... The lifespans were different at this point. Right? So Bilam was already an advisor to Moshe, to Paro at this time. So you see, Bilam was not a great guy. You know, going back like a long stretch already. Um, so, but, but maybe, I'm not sure if you were asking about this, but maybe just to explain a little bit more. 
in terms of our own self-work, right? <coughs> to the extent that we can just try to attach ourselves to God and to try to keep the mitzvahs, this will be our best shot at getting from point A to point B in the most direct way. Now, that doesn't mean that the path from A to B isn't going to be mysterious and full of turns. It will be, because that's the nature of our existence. Right? So, it's God, the, the Torah and God, is, it's not an ATM. You put in your card and you... You, you say a shall call and out comes money, right? It's like, it doesn't work like that. It's, it's, it's always mysterious. But like to use ways again as a, as a metaphor, sometimes you say, how can it be sending me in the, I know for a fact this is the wrong direction. I know for a fact this is the wrong direction. And but it's taking you out of traffic and then it takes you another way and then you realize you got there faster. So God is the master of routing lives. And, and, and we just, you know, you know, I remember I was talking to a guy a, a few years ago. And I think a lot of people, um, a lot of people struggle with this. He didn't want to commit to being Shomer Shabbos. He didn't want to keep Shabbos. He wasn't married. And his logic was the following. And there's a good logic to it. I, I think ultimately it's an incorrect logic. But, but I understand why he thought these things. He says, look, it's very hard for me to find a girl. And what I want to do is I want to open myself to the most possibilities. So I'll be Shomer Shabbos adjacent, right? So this way I can potentially marry a, a Shomer Shabbos girl. But I'll also not be Shomer Shabbos so that I'm not going to scare away all the girls who are in Shomer Shabbos. Right? But I think the reality in terms of his life was that the girls who were in Shomer Shabbos was like, you're too religious. And the girls who were Shomer Shabbos were like, you're not religious enough. <laughs> He's dead with himself. So he was in, in an attempt to open himself up to the widest possible field of girls. At the same time, he was completely eliminating himself from both populations. So, so there is a certain greatness in just saying I'm just going to be straight I'm just going to be straight and I'm not going to treat it like an ATM because I decided to be straight okay God you know where's the cash like it's, it's not so simple it's not so simple but that is our greatest hope that is, that is our salvation to try to walk a straight path with God first I want to point out I'm a victim Stances of Three Stooges catchphrase. <laughs> Maybe there's something to that. Listen, let me tell you something. I saw a book on a table one time. It was a biography of the Three Stooges. Yeah. And I picked it up and I just read page one. And page one said that it was talking about their father, right? Because, And their father died running into a shul that was on fire in order to save the Sefer Torah wow. from burning. Wow. It's the father of the three stooges. No way. Yeah. Wow. So but he's the father of Mo Shemp and Curly. Yeah. They were brothers. Yeah. Larry. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. So it's, you know. That's what I know. Zeicher <laughs> You know. But um, this idea that you know life is difficult, which <laughs> is not. I mean, 
you know, you've addressed it before, it's widely addressed. When I think of my own upbringing, in certain ways it was incredibly easy, in certain ways it was very difficult, but either way it was sheltered. And for me, the life is difficult was a rude awakening, you know, and but the, when I look around, it seems like I'm not alone with that. It seems like there's a, maybe it's a generational thing, but it seems like a lot of people everywhere I look were not prepared for that. Yeah, Am you know, I imagining that? Or? Well, you know, I, I don't think you are imagining it. And I, I, there's, a, there's a, something that I always think about. Um, I think Dennis Prager says it in the name of his good friend's mother, which is that the only people who don't have problems are people who you don't know very well. <laughs> so it, it is absolutely inescapable and across, <coughs> and across the board. It's inescapable and, uh, and across the board. Some, you can stand in line with them and you can more or less get a sense of it without saying a word to them. And others, you have to know them for a long time and very well to get a sense for it. But in both cases, they're there. So, so the first step, I think, is to understand that that's not a sign of abnormality, but that is sort of the human condition. And then it's sort of like, okay, now how can I do the best job with the, with the job I'm being given? And to approach it from a very positive, constructive standpoint, and, and then to take it from there. Um, because society wants us to just wallow in the difficulty of it. And to just wonder why it's there at all. And I think ultimately that is a red herring. That that gets us off the path of what we need to be doing and how we can make really the, the fullest best of our lives. Um, Wondering if you could comment the fact yeah. that the fast is coming on Tuesday yeah. in between these two parshas. Right, sure, absolutely. So, so we talked about it a little bit on Shabbos. Um, Parshas Balak is coming always before the three weeks, right? Because this Tuesday is a, a fast day. And um, I just wanted to say on that something connected to what we said earlier that just like it looks like. Um, you see, there's a, there's a kind of a famous, Marshall, famous parable about a, an enemy to a Jewish person who wants to basically get him, right? And so he observes his daily activities and he notices he walks the same way every single day. So he hatches a, a plot and he digs a ditch in that area for him and then he covers it over with leaves. And that day, the Jew takes a different route. So there's a line in Hallel that says, all nations praise God. So people ask the question, why the nations? This is a Jewish prayer. This is a Jewish prayer of thanks to God. Why does it say the nation should thank him? Because there are things, there are miracles that God is doing for us that we don't even know that God is doing for us. Just like this person took the, a different way that day and didn't even know what he was saved from. But the one who was plotting against him knew the miracle that was performed on his behalf. So, so based on that, I want to say that as we're entering into the three weeks, we're, we're, we, have, we have Parshas Balak, and then we go into the three weeks. 
that God is giving us a sign. There are all these things, because remember, we didn't know how Balak and Bilaam were plotting, because we weren't in those discussions. But nonetheless, God was protecting us, and God is showing us that God is protecting us, even when we, know, when we don't know that he's protecting us. And we never, we never, may never find out the details of it. But that we should be aware of it and reminded of it that it is going up. Yeah. Yeah. 